This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Thank you, Bree. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Good to see you all here this morning. Uh, and what a, what a cool room change this is. We, the last time we did church here, I think there were probably almost double the amount of people in the room and I was sitting front row and there was no space between the chairs in the front row and the stage. Literally, I was like feet hanging over the front of the stage. So it's nice to be back here. It's cozy. Um, and as Bree mentioned, we are continuing our series called Upper Room this morning. But before we get there, um, who, was, who was at team night this week on Wednesday night? Yeah, a couple of you guys were there. Really amazing night. And uh, I just want to do a quick shout out to James and James for organizing that and James Eyre for bringing such a timely reminder of why it is we surf. Uh, I don't know about you, but this particular season has been a tough one. I know, um, you know, the production team and band and probably every other team is experiencing all of what we're experiencing right now with COVID, with people being sick and pulling out last minute, not having enough people. Our teams are feeling stretched. And James reminded us so clearly on Wednesday night of why we do what we do. And so, um, yeah, James, thank you for that reminder for us that our labor is not in vain. All of the effort that we put into what we're doing here is not wasted effort. Well, we're going to jump straight back into John 13 this morning. I'm going to pray for us. So I want to invite you to join me as we pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you love us as we heard last week, that your love is unconditional, that your love is tangible and real and practical. We, we thank you that your love for us is intimate, that we can know you and experience your love as your spirit pours out your love into our hearts. And God, this morning we pray as we look at your word, I, I ask that you'd help us to see what it looks like for that love to so overflow in us that it would spill out to other people. God, we thank you that you speak and we pray now that you would Give us ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning, wherever we're at on our faith journey. Transform us, make us more and more like Jesus so that this church and our gospel communities will be places of such radical, countercultural, magnetic love that the world who watches couldn't help but be drawn to the type of community that you are building here. And so we pray that you would do your work by your spirit now. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. And God's people said, Amen. Well, as I mentioned last week, the upper room, uh, what, what it's, you know, the, the, the theologians call it the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse. It's really Jesus' kind of parting words before his death to his disciples, preparing them for his departure. But I think one of the things that often gets missed in this is that this, these few chapters here, chapters 13 to 17, really is more than just a farewell message to his disciples it's actually a missional message this is preparing his disciples for the mission that they will have as he leaves and the spirit is poured out and the church is birthed and the mission of god is sent to the ends of the earth and as we dive into these verses here what i want us to see is not only you know the the profound important last words of jesus right that's always important everyone's last words are always important but these are words that prepare the church to be the type of people that Jesus is calling us to be. And that is a people who participate with him in his mission. 
to the ends of the earth. That we would demonstrate and declare, alert everyone to the reign of God in Jesus Christ. And that is what is happening here in John chapter 13. One of um, at the previous generation's most preeminent apologists, the people who have stood to defend the Christian church, was a guy by the name of Francis Schaeffer. And he says that along with unity, which Jesus will speak of in John chapter 17, he says, you know, everyone will know who you are by your unity. And he prays that the church would be unified. Says Francis Schaeffer says, along with our unity, our love is what he calls the final apologetic. The, the final thing that will convince people that we in fact are Jesus' people and that Jesus has been sent from the Father to this world. More than our truth, more than... Um, you know, our theological accuracy and our doctrinal statements and creeds, the love of the Christian community, the love that Christians have for each other is the final apologetic. And I want to suggest that in our current climate, the, the place where we are living in this pocket of the city in 2022, our love for each other is probably as important, if not more important, than the doctrinal statements that we believe. For many years, actually for 17 years, I was a, a youth pastor and I did most of my ministry um, training in the youth space and for many years taught high school scripture. Now, when I first started teaching high school scripture in the, in the late 90s, and uh, that may, may age me a bit, um, I remember a lot of the questions that the students were asking were questions like, "Can we? how do we know that the Bible is true? What about dinosaurs? As if that was like the lay down mosaic. Gotcha, sir. What about dinosaurs? And they were, you know, expecting me not to have an answer to that question. The kids over the years stopped asking those questions. They began to ask questions more like, does this work? Like, does your faith make any real tangible difference to your life and to this world? Like, is it good? Does it bring, you know, does it pursue human flourishing and growth of human culture? Those were the types of questions that people began asking. I want to suggest that those questions have become more and more important to our culture. And so the way we live has a profound impact on what we say. Now, that's a message that Jesus tells us. Right? Let your walk match your talk. Let your behavior match your beliefs, right? There ought to be no discontinuity between those things. That our actions and our love and the depth and tone of our love is the final apologetic that our world needs to see. Now, that doesn't mean that truth's not important. That doesn't mean that creeds and doctrinal statements are not important. Of course, they are. But in this day and age, in our time, in our cultural moment, I want to suggest that our love and our actions are just as important. So let's dive into, sorry, so here's my little, here's my little hook for this, for this sermon. Our inward love has outward impact. Our inward love as a church has outward impact. And I want to show you that from the passage this morning. So let's dive in. Remember, Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure, he tells them a number of times, I'm going, I'm leaving. He's preparing them. Judas has left, as Bree reminded us. And then in this like intimate pastoral 
fatherly term. He addresses his disciples in verse 33 as my children. Or some translations, uh, he'll say my little ones. My little children. I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And skip down to verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow. But you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Now I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, put yourselves in the disciples' shoes for a second. This feels like a breakup. Anyone, anyone, anyone been in, on the receiving end of a breakup, right? You know what that feels like, right? It's terrible. Even the person who's doing the breaking up, it still feels terrible, right? It feels like a breakup because we've got to remember Peter and the other ten disciples who are with him, they have left everything to do what? To follow Jesus, right? Remember, Jesus walks along the shores of Galilee, says to Peter, Andrew, and a couple of the other disciples, come and follow me. And what do they do? They leave their businesses, they leave their families, they leave their friends, and they literally follow Jesus. They've spent three years walking with Jesus around the Judean countryside, visiting Capernaum, getting on boats, sailing across the lake, following Jesus. And he gets to this point and he says to them, like right at the end of the journey, you can't follow me anymore. They're like, what? What do you mean we can't follow you anymore, Jesus? We've, th- that was the whole deal. You said, come follow me, and we've been following you. And now at this point, you say, you can't follow me anymore. This feels like a breakup. And you've got to love our boy Peter because he always speaks first, thinks second which I, I clearly resonate with some of you are verbal processes. You're like, ah, Peter's my boy. Right? In our age, we're like, I love Peter. He's so authentic. Right? At least you know Peter is, you know, he's being real. Just speaking his heart and he's, he's so genuine and authentic. He is the millennial disciple, I, I think. Peter says, Jesus, I will even follow you to the most dangerous place. It doesn't matter where you go, Jesus. I'm with you. You to tell me I can't follow you. Jesus, I will, you know what? I will follow you so far to the most dangerous place. I'm willing to die for you. And kind of, you know, flick a few pages on. Peter backs those words up. Because you remember as we get to that scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying and he's trying to keep the disciples awake because they're so tired. And, and eventually Judas comes with, you know, the, the, the soldiers, the Sanhedrin guards, and, and what does Peter do? He pulls his sword out and he lops off the high priest soldier's ear and like he, he backs it up. He's like, Jesus, I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to fight for you. But if only Peter knew where Jesus was going. Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow right now. Like, you you can't follow me after tonight, after these events unfold. You can't follow me just now. Like, later on, yep, you can follow me then, but but right now, you can't follow me because Jesus is about to experience the pit of hell as he is crucified on a Roman cross. 
in the most agonizing death known to humanity at, the, at that point in time. Jesus says, you can't follow me right now. And then he warns Peter. He says, in fact, Peter, it's not you who's going to die for me. It's the other way around. I'm going to die for you. I will be the one who's laying my life down. And in fact, what you are going to do, Peter, is when the rooster crows three times, you'll end up denying me. Now, just position yourself in the upper room. Remember, last week, the disciples are reclining at the table. They're not seated on chairs. They're laying down. It's intimate. There's cushions. They're on a low-lying table. Jesus has just said to them, one of you is going to betray me. And then secretively, just between him and John, he's, John says to him, teacher, which one is it? And on the down low, Jesus says, it's the one I give this bread to. He dips the bread, gives it to Judas and says, now go, on, go and do what you're, you've been told to do. Judas leaves. And then Peter is told that he's going to deny Jesus three times. And the rest of the disciples are like, what? What is happening? Is Peter the one who's going to betray Jesus? This is a moment of disorientation and it, and it silences Peter. Much like the other moments where Peter spoke without thinking and it ends up being silenced. And then Jesus prepares his disciples for, I think, what is some of the most profound verses in the entire Gospel of John. Profound Verses, actually very simple verses, but verses perhaps that we find so difficult to live out. Verses that are so simple that even a child can memorize. They're in our Sunday school songs. And yet even the most seasoned saint can read these verses and feel a pang of guilt that they have not lived these as Jesus calls us to live them. Because this is what Jesus says in verse 34. A new command I give you. A new command. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A new command I give you. We love new stuff. Who loves new stuff? I love, I love getting new stuff. Right? We all, you love it when the you know, the Iconic or the ASOS or the Amazon package arrives. You get home from work and instead of finding the little card from the postman that said, I couldn't deliver your order, the, the package is there. You're like, yeah, it's amazing. We love new stuff, right? Love the putting on the hoodie for the first time, the smell of fresh cotton. It's, you know, we love it. Jesus here gives the disciples a new commandment. You're like, yes, I love new things, a new commandment. And then he says, love one another. I'm like, what? It's not new. There's nothing new about that command, Jesus, love one another. I mean, Jesus has been saying this all along. Remember, he said to the disciples, if you want to sum up the entire law and the prophets, the entire five books of the Old Testament, the first five books of Pentateuch and all of the prophets that came after it, if you want to sum the whole thing up, it's like this. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. You're like, hang on, but you've been saying that for ages, Jesus. What is new about this? In fact, Leviticus 19, 18 says that we ought to love our neighbors as ourselves. You're like, Jesus, you're plagiarizing Moses right now. This is not new. You know when, um, you know every time Apple launches a new iPhone, you're like, this is an iPhone unlike any other phone that has ever been 
And then you watch the, the, you know, the product launch and it still takes photos, it still makes phone calls, it, you know, it still gives you directions to the netball game and you, know, you still waste all of your spare time on social media, right? What's new about this, you know? Well, it's like the chip, the chips and you're like, cool. I, I don't even know what a chip is, but it's inside the phone, right? Is it, it's like, is this what Jesus is doing here? It's like, it's just PR, it's just smoking, it's just like marketing. It's like, hey guys, new iPhone, but it's the same old message, right? New, new thing, but it's really not all that. Is that what is happening here? Well, I want to suggest to you, no, it's not. The newness of this command is not in the fact that it's novel. It's not in the fact that the disciples have never heard Jesus say something like, love each other. The newness of this command is the nature of the love that Jesus calls his followers to. The depth of the love that he is drawing us into. Have a look at verse 34 again. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, disciples, so you must love one another. The nature of love has changed. It used to be this. Love your neighbor as what? As yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So self-love, and we all know how much we love each other. Some of you too much. We've got a very inflated self-ego. Some of you not enough at all, right? You, you find it really hard to love yourself. You're like, oh, that's easy. I can love people more than I love myself. The, the standard used to be the way that we love ourselves. Now Jesus, he levels up. He takes it to the next level. He says, it's no longer your your love for yourself that is the standard by which we love each other. Now, it is a Jesus standard of love that I'm calling you to. How does Jesus love his disciples? Well, do you remember what happened last week? Well, actually, literally like five minutes before he said this, if you're reading, the, it, he, he got on his knees and he unwrapped his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he got down and he performed the servant's duty for his disciples. He performed the lowest menial task that was reserved not even for Jewish slaves, but for Gentile dogs. They were the ones. So demeaning was the act of foot washing. And here are the disciples in a room together. And that act is so below them that none of them would be willing to wash the feet of their fellow disciples. And Jesus is the one who takes the low place and washes the feet. And Jesus says, now go and do likewise. And remember the foot washing is a little window into what Jesus will do in John 19. It's a precursor of his death, of the ultimate cleansing that he will bring as he dies on the cross and his blood is poured out for our cleansing and forgiveness. That's how Jesus has loved us. He's loved you with everything that he had. His life. He's given it all. He's not withheld anything to love us. And Jesus says, that's how you, church, are to love one another. With this standard of love. Humble, sacrificial, generous love. His love is the new benchmark for what love looks like in our communities, in our gospel communities, in our church. Now, it's important to note that love here is not an emotion, right? 
only. Clearly it's an emotion. It's not an emotion only. It's not like Jesus um, introduced the, you know, this whole entire farewell discourse, John chapter 13. He's like, guys, I'm feeling all the feels right now. Just so you know, I've got to go. And then he skips the foot washing bit, right? It's not what... This is not primarily an emotion from Jesus. It's an action. Love made Jesus adopt the slave's clothing, get on his knees and wash the disciples' feet. Love is a doing word. It's practical. And that is how we ought to love each other. But for what purpose? Why? Have a look at what it says. Come back to verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Why? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How will they know? Sounds like that TikTok, doesn't it? How will they know? How are they going to know? Is it our finely crafted statement of faith on our website? Is it the fact that we you know, have killer socials? How will they know? Is it because... Whenever we have an opportunity, we seem to ram the entire story of God into a five-minute conversation down their throat to try and convince them that Jesus... Like, how will they know? Jesus says right here, they will know by the way you love each other. Not by the way you love the world, by the way you love each other. Now, of course, Jesus tells us to love the world, right? In fact, there's no like fine print on loving anyone in the Bible, right? You're not going to find a verse that says, apart from these people. You love, you love your family. You love your church. You love your spouse. You love your neighbor. And Jesus tells us, actually, you, yeah, you've also got to love your enemies. There's no one else left. Love everyone, right? But here, Jesus is saying, it's primarily our love for each other that is going to demonstrate to a watching world that we, in fact, are Jesus' people, that we are his followers, his apprentices, his disciples. And later on, he will say that I have been sent from the Father. Our inward love has outward impact. Our inward love for each other has outward impact on our watching world. It's one of the reasons why we say that our gospel communities, our small groups here at Anchor, are places of mission. I'm not sure what your small group experience has been either here at Anchor or at a previous church. Um, but for, for most small groups, it's like a nice, cozy, safe, Christian, holy huddle. And we kind of want to burst that paradigm and say, no, that's not what our gospel communities are about. We want them to be places of mission. Because yes, of course, clearly, we can all be solo missionaries sent to our workplaces, our families, our Sporting teams, our neighborhoods, our apartment complexes. Yes, we're called to be sent to people wherever we go. But we miss a profound reality when we think that that is the sum total of what it means to be a sent person. Because we can declare the fact that God loves them. But when we do that together as a family and people see God's love in action, not just in words... And that's the triple threat for me, or the double threat, whatever it is. 
people will take note and say, ah, oh, yes, these, this group of people here, it seems to me that Jesus has profoundly shaped these guys. I can see their love. I can see the way they care for each other. Tertullian was a, um, a second century author and um, one of the, the early Christian apologists. And he noted that um, there were all these comments that second century pagan society was making about the Christians. And he said this, this is what the pagan culture said of Christianity. Behold, how these Christians love each other. How ready they are to die for each other. They got it. They got it. They got what Jesus meant. And a watching world peered in on the Christian community and said, Oh my goodness, look at these guys. Like they really take their master's words seriously. Are they actually willing to die for each other? That's the tone of love that Jesus wants to see in our community. And what makes Christian community unique is not that we're a monoculture, not that there's just one single ethnicity, one single demographic, one single socioeconomic background. We all just clump together because we're like each other. But what makes the Christian community unique is that we don't put conditions on entry. Anyone can be a part of this. The love of God is extended, irrespective of racial background, irrespective of what your denominational background is, irrespective of what job you have during the week or don't have during the week. You know, I was thinking this week, one of the messages that I keep seeing on my social feeds, um, these messages, I don't know who, who they are. They're, they're probably not even all that influential, but you know, they're posturing as influencers. They get on their reels, TikTok, Instagram, feeds, whatever, and they start to preach a message. And the message that I keep hearing over and over and over again from our culture, has anyone else heard this? Love yourself. And get rid of all the toxic people in your life. Anyone else heard that message? Love yourself. And if there's anyone toxic in your life, you cut them off. That's the message that our world is preaching at us through our little preaching devices, the black mirrors, every single day. And, and sometimes, like before the kids go to bed, we'll, um, you know, Dad, can we watch a few reels? I'm like, all right, I'm a bit of a sucker for it. And, and we get to these like, these preachy influences, I'm always like, skim, just, can we just find the ones where people stack it, hurt themselves, and where we'll just laugh at those ones, right? But that's the message. That is the message that you are being told over and over again from celebrities, from influencers, from wannabe influencers. Love yourself and cut out all the toxic people in your life. And Jesus comes along. Doesn't he make things uncomfortable for us, hey? Isn't this an awkward thing for us to receive? He says the exact opposite. He says, at the very least, love this world like you love yourself. I'm leveling this thing up. Love each other as I have loved you. And in fact, love your enemies, including all the toxic people in your life. Now, yes, of course, we have boundaries. That's important, right? But it's such a different message from the message that we are being fed in our world. This is a counter-cultural call to love. And my guess is, 
as, as you think back to your journey of faith, if you've grown up in the church, maybe this isn't so much your story, but if you have come to faith in Jesus, to apprenticeship in Jesus later on in your life, my guess is one of the things that drew you in was your window into Christian community. You saw how people spoke about each other, spoke to each other. You saw a group of people where maybe gossip was there, but when it surfaced, people like addressed it and then apologized. You're like, what? You saw something about the community of people that you were engaged in. You thought, this is, this is different. This is attractive. I like this. I think this is the type of community I've always wanted to be in. Not one that is driven by performance, where we have problems, but they just, you know, we just bury them and suppress them. And this is the type of community I really want to be a part of. The best apologetic for our watching world is our love for each other. Our love for each other. Tim Keller says that um, our culture is, is that in fact not all that compelled by one individual who lives an extraordinary life. Why not? It's too easy to dismiss. This person is extraordinary. They're not a normal person, right? Clearly this person, the Mother Teresa's of the world, yes, they live extraordinary lives. But what does compel our culture is a community of people all living like that. That, now that is compelling. That draws people in. Again, Francis, Francis Schaeffer says this, What we are called to, upon the basis of the finished work of Christ in the power of the Spirit through faith, is to exhibit a substantial healing. Now by that he means, like his framework is there has been this like division that has happened between humanity and each other, humanity and creation, humanity and God, all of that occurred at the fall. There is to be a significant healing, drawing back of those things, individual, then corporate, so that people may observe it, so that they can see not just the love of God declared, but the love of God demonstrated in the actions of the community of people who say, I follow Jesus. You know, this, what we're a part of here, not just fellowship it's not just you know tea and coffee in the court courtyard in the name of jesus it's not just a nice meal on wednesday night in the name of jesus this church what we are a part of is a radical countercultural exhibition of love on display it's what jesus says in matthew 5 right you are a city on a hill you're a lamp in a room that provides light that people might see your actions, your good deeds. I'm flipping into 1 Peter now and glorify God on the day He visits us. And so I just want to speak into our current moment here at church on, on this topic of loving each other well. Because And, and Bree really helpfully mentioned this. I didn't know she was going to say this at the start when I was preparing this. And so perhaps this is the Spirit just pushing on something today for our church community. But Bree has mentioned this morning that all of us feel new. Well, we all feel new. This entire church community, we've sent two churches, two church plants in the last 18 months. We've hived off a whole bunch of people in faith, started new. 
communities in different parts of our city. COVID has hit. A bunch of people left. You all turned up and everyone's like, I don't know anyone anymore. I'm not coming to church because I don't know anyone anymore. I'm like, me either. I don't know anyone. I'm kind of stuck here because I'm the pastor, right? <laughs> that's not true. I love, <laughs> I love, I love being here. But, but that's the reality. Everyone in the room feels like, I don't know anyone anymore. What are we going to do about that? I'll tell you what most of us do. We're like, Ooh, where's the person I know? Morning tears, like I've got to find someone I know because I feel really awkward talking. I'm standing here by myself. I don't know anyone who we're going to talk to. Just go and find someone and introduce yourself. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they're a parent and they have kids running around. Just so you know, like the parents, particularly the mums, they have this ability to do this thing where they can have a conversation with you in one eye and watch a child in the other. I don't know how they do it. I particularly cannot do it. Cannot multitask. But just, just go and say hi. Hey, look, I know your kids are running around. That's fine. Let's just chat. And if we need to walk and talk, let's do that. That person looks really intimidating because they're like three times cooler than I am. I'm just going to talk to them anyway. Their vibe is, I'm, maybe I'll just go and ask them about their vibe. Find out, you know, like whatever it is, right? Just talk to someone. Just introduce yourself, right? That's the reality that we're in right now. And I want to suggest to you that maybe the simplest way that we can practice love right now is just to be really friendly on a Sunday morning. And come out to lunch together. Say, hey, look, we've just met, but do you want to go grab lunch at Filter after church? Let's hang out. This, this week, um, one of the guys in our, in our small group, Hayden, who's only here for three months, he's from America here doing an architectural internship. And two weeks ago, he met a new guy, Rowan, at church. And they hung out on Sunday, went for lunch, and hung out all Sunday. And then he invited Rowan to our GC on Wednesday night, or last Wednesday night, actually. And I was like, damn, Hayden, I love this. We should all be doing this, right? That's the type of community that we need to be building. And just, look, there's, there's way other things that we can do to love each other than that. And I just want to brag on a few of the ways that I think we are doing that as Jake comes up and jangles behind me. You know, one of the things that, um, one of the things that we, ha- I'm so proud of this church for is our meals for all of the new mums here at church. You know, every, every time um, someone has a baby in this church, this meal roster just pops up on our social media feed, organized by one of the other moms, usually who have been blessed by it themselves. And then for two weeks, our church community drops a meal round to this family and blesses them. And I have to tell you, one of the things that gets said over and over and over again is as people receive these meals, you know, you know what they're doing? They're at home with their family. Their mums, like grandmas of these little babies, are in the room as meals are delivered every single day. And their family or their neighbors are like, what is, like what, what is this group that you're a part of where you would get a meal for two weeks? Every night for two weeks. Uh, and so people are watching the tone of our love for each other as we do this. You have no idea the impact that your pastor bake has on the mum of someone who is there. She's not a believer the grandpa of this child that's just been born in our community, he is watching what is happening as you turn up to deliver a meal with a smile and a blessing and maybe pray for them, whatever it is. Even just leaving it at the door because you're like, hey, I don't want to give this child COVID. I'm just going to knock and run, right? That's an act of love. I'm so proud of our church, the way we do that. You know, I was reading last week. Um, I don't, did anyone see the article in the Herald? Sydney is the hardest city in the, in the world to make friends. Yeah, you saw that? What if we change the narrative? 
What if we were the type of church where you came in, you're like, man, I, I didn't just get added on Facebook. Like, we're like tight now. Like, I, I got invited to a Wednesday night small group with a meal. They didn't even know my name and they invited me and, and put a meal in front of me and welcomed me in. What if, what if this type of church is the type of church where it was so easy to make friends that people started joining this church not because they cared about our worship and our message, but they were so hungry for friendship that they came here. What if we change the narrative? What else? I've got too many things here to say. Maybe, maybe one more example before I wrap up with a profound quote. It's, good. it's what you've got to do. You've got to wrap up with a profound quote. That's right. Hey, Jake. Yeah. Um, and we're so close. Like, we're not normally this close to each other. Um, you know, one of the things that happened during COVID, uh, particularly the first lockdown, because there was a lot of financial insecurity the first lockdown. Right? People lost their jobs. And the second one was all like mental health. The first one was all finances. I had a number of people contact me and say, hey, just so you know, like, we're, we're doing really well. God's blessed us. And if there's people in church who need support, I'm willing to help. Like, just let us know. We'll give. And do you know what I said to those people? I honestly, probably five or six people emailed me. I said, hey, I love this. Thank you so much. But do you know what? Our GCs are caring for people so well it's not needed. And I heard stories of people paying rent for those who couldn't afford to pay rent during I heard, We heard stories of people who had car accidents, couldn't afford their, their insurance premium. Other people paid their excess for them. Stories of financial generosity. In fact, many years ago, we've had people in this church who paid, one couple in particular, paid thousands of dollars so that a young, traumatized woman in our community could get years of psychology sessions so that she could find healing in her life. And those stories I could tell over and over again. I wish I could name names, but people want to be anonymous because they're so holy and godly. But I love that. And, and church, this is what we're called to be. This is who we are called to be, a people who would love each other, not conveniently, not when it's easy, but love each other when we have to drive across the city on a rainy Wednesday night to deliver a meal to a family and it's taken us an hour to get there and back because you know what inner west traffic is like in, in the rain. That's the type of community. And I promise you, as a watching world sees how we love each other, they will go, now I can see these people are connected to Jesus. Leslie Newbigin, the great, the famous missiologist, says this. The actual, not the perceived, the actual presence of the love of Jesus operative in the life of a community will be what identifies it as his. This is the one essential Nota Ecclesia, it's a Latin phrase for mark of the church. This is the one mark of the church. It is this which will lead men and women to look to the strange figure of a crucified man as the source of life. And what he's saying is this, our love for each other is the magnet that is going to draw people in. And so may we wear it as a badge to a watching world that so desperately needs to know that Jesus 
loves them deeply, personally, and intimately. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a second. I realize it's very difficult because this room is so tightly packed. There's one station. Perhaps you just want to do takeaway Lord's Supper this morning. I don't know if, that, if that's going to work. But if you can access that, then please access uh, the, the bread and the grape juice that's at the table there. Feel free to stay seated this morning. Uh, just to stay in your chairs if it's too awkward to get out this morning. Hopefully, we'll be back next week with more space to respond and worship like we normally do. But I'm going to pray for us as the band comes up, as we transition to a time of worship together. So please join me. Actually, I'm going to invite you to stand. Why don't we stand together, church? Let's stand. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to be the type of community that just overflows with love. That we have been so deeply loved by you. That we've been so captivated by the example of Jesus who would wash our feet and lay down his life. That that vision of love would so animate and capture who we are as a community. That it would be present in a practical, tangible way. So that a watching world would look on and see the strange message of a crucified Savior and find it compelling. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do this work in our community in a profound way, particularly in this season, God. Strengthen us for this task. Help us to so deeply appreciate the realities of the gospel that it oozes out of us. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said in one loud voice, Amen. Amen.